Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to our 100 Hits Volume Pod, the podcast that looks at arguably, arguably the greatest compilation this country has ever produced. I'm talking about the 100 Hits compilation of CDs. My name is Josh Hill and this week, very special guest. Please welcome into your ears. It's Zan Rowe, everyone. Yay! Yay! What an honour. Hey, Zan. How are you doing? I'm excited about these songs because there are some that I haven't listened to since 1993. Why would you listen to some of these songs <laughs> <laughs> ever again? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, some of them have stayed the test of time, but a lot of them haven't. I'm, I'm looking at an 80% not. Okay, that's good. <laughs> did you did you collect these CDs? Did you know about these CDs growing up? I did know about these CDs growing up. I think that they were an easy entry point when you were living um, as a kid, probably listening to pop radio or just collecting your favourite songs as opposed to being an yeah. album aficionado. Yeah. I was 15, 14 or 15 in 1993, so I was just tipping over into being... Too cool for this? Well, no, I won't say that, but becoming more interested in albums and definitely tipping more into indie music. Yeah. So this was kind of where I was. We'll get to that in a moment because there is a song in here that sort of describes that and, and aligns with that. But I still knew all these songs because it was what was playing on the radio and we didn't have streaming services. We were all no. listening to what we were fed. Yes. And this is what we were fed. And so I think that they're a great capture of the time. I think the thing that I love about 100% Hits is it is so genre agnostic and not snobby. Oh, this is the, what I... Whoever compiles these, did you make mixtapes and mix CDs growing up? Yes. Did you methodically go into it go, oh, this song has to follow this song, this song has to follow Yeah, it. there's got to be a story. That's the arc of a mixtape. The person who compiles these <laughs> does not think like that. It's dog's breakfast. They, there's one coming up next episode, which is one of the craziest just handbrake. No, we're now listening to this. I've, I'll, I'll, put, I'll just say it now. It goes from Everybody Hurts to George Thorogood, Get a Haircut. <laughs> It is a wild transition. Do you reckon, though, that this is kind of predates the the data that you get from streaming services where you can see what's the most popular song and what they were going for was just the charts and, like any album, you put all the hits up the top. So you start with a banger and then you just kind of trickle down and that's why it is so random because it's not actually about sequence, it's about pure numbers. Well, it is 100% and you're just going breaking down the percentages you go through the track listing? I, I don't know because we've mentioned this on, on the show before. It normally starts quite horny. <laughs> These comp, they've Sex been, sells. Yes, yeah, exactly it. This one doesn't start too horny. Mm. Yeah. So we'll, we'll play the first song. So this is a little man still going by the name of Diesel and this is from his follow-up to Hep Fidelity. Oh, what an album. This is his song, Never Miss Your Water, from The Lobbyist. It's Diesel, everyone.
We'll stop it there. So that was From the Lobbyist, which was kind of an album, but also kind of a, hey, we need to put something out. What have you got? So it was three new songs, five acoustic songs of his old stuff and a couple of covers and four live songs. Bit of a cop out. Well, I sometimes I, I feel sorry for the uh, music industry and sometimes I'm like, well, you kind of... <laughs> You kind of did fuck us over a fair bit by putting out this and making fans pay $30 for something like this. What's it with the title too, The Lobbyist? Is it like a union album? No, he said it was because he used to stay in hotels so much. He felt oh, like he was lobby. always in hotel lobbies. So he called himself The Lobbyist. But it has a double meaning, doesn't yeah, it? it's clever, Diesel. It's very clever. Yeah. Johnny Diesel and the Injectors, formerly known as. Well, we, we've talked about why he was called Johnny Diesel in a previous episode. Mm-hmm. But we haven't talked about why he went to, from Diesel to Mark Lazotte. Yeah, no, and also had that venue called Lazotte's too. Was that tied into it? I think I think it's his family venue. Is that I think it is. Yeah, and yeah. it's in New South it, Wales, I believe. There's one in Canberra, Central Coast. Yeah. Um, I always remember seeing that and going, "Is that?" I always found the whole Johnny Diesel, Jimmy Barnes, each marrying the sisters. Yeah. It was almost like our own little dynasty. Yeah, little family rock and roll dynasty. Our Kennedys. <laughs> our Kennedys. <laughs> And I kind of loved that. And Diesel, I will say, I did an event with him about three years ago and he's ageless. Oh. He's he, still hot. He looks really good. <laughs> he looks really well, good. <laughs> I, I've mentioned this before. There's so, he's been, I don't know who he knew at EMI or what Dirty knew on them, but he's on every fucking album of this. Like he's on so many. <laughs> like you didn't need to buy Heffadelli. You could just buy these and you'd get all, all the songs. But he's on this. But but he was huge. huge. I mean, he is 100% hits. He huge. was huge. So he won uh, Performer of the Year three years in a row at the Arias, like Male Artist of the Year, three mm. years in a row. This song was nominated for three Arias, didn't win any of them. What beat him? We're going to talk about it a little bit later. Oh, is that going to be controversial? I don't think so. I think most people will go, actually, yeah, that's probably that a better song. That deserves it, right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but this is how he became, went from Diesel, from Johnny Diesel to Diesel to Mark Lazotte. So he signed with Mammoth Records in the, in the States mm. and they said, hey, People are going to confuse you with jeans. People are going to think you're Diesel Jeans. You need to change your name. And he goes, okay, well, my name's actually Mark Lazotte. And we're like, great, let's just call you Mark Lazotte. So he went from Diesel to Mark Lazotte. And then everyone in Australia is like, what are you doing? Like, you're Diesel. Yeah. Just be Diesel. Yeah. And now he's gone back to Diesel. Well, it's weird, isn't it? Because in these sort of things that you've got to have different names for different territories, but it doesn't necessarily translate. You couldn't do it these days because on your Spotify, again, I'm talking yeah. about streaming services, but this is the world we live in. Yeah. You wouldn't be able to have two different names because it would just completely screw up your streams. Well, But so- I just remember like Mark Lazard, I was like, oh, it's a bit daggy. Yeah. Diesel's so rock and roll. Well, And Johnny Diesel and the Injectors. See, that's not, that's not cool. Well, it's kind of almost like you get this image of this sort of 50s rocker with the slicked back hair. And he does, like, I didn't think about it at the time because when I was a kid and listening to Diesel, I was just like, he's cute. But then, of course, you get older and you're like, oh, I can hear all your references because yeah. my musical world is growing. Yeah. And even now you're hearing it and he's got a really, like, he, he was born out of time. Yeah. So having that kind of Johnny Diesel in the Injectors name, it is a bit naff, but it's sort of of plays into that sort of 50s rocker that kind of very american sort of style classic rock blues element well he is american as well what yeah he's american australian so i think he spent his formative years in america then moved and then went to perth then went from perth to sydney as a 17 year old to make it in music wow i didn't know this yeah and his parents said no you should go to uni learn learn, learn something or what was go his learn trade? trade i didn't i don't know I you think, know literally everything else i, I just figured you already knew what he was trading i don't know no i think he was just he went i'm just gonna be in bands and obviously it worked out for worked him out, worked out fine diesel he's still going still yeah going and you know what that's like i mean testament to a hit that that is a song that you'd probably hear 
on Goal 104, yeah. maybe on Smooth FM. Yeah. But you still know every word. We're going to move on. The second song on Volume 9, Side A. This is Johnny Gill and his hit, The Floor. Johnny Gill, one-time member of New Edition. Absolutely huge. Not an original member of New Edition. Okay. He was brought in. <laughs> this is it. He was, he was brought in to replace uh, Ralph Tresvent, who was the lead singer of New Edition, because mm. um, they, they anticipated he's going to go off and do a solo career soon. But then little Bobby Brown had a few issues and they went, you've got to leave the band. We can't have you in the band. Mm. You, are, you are off the rails. Toxic. And once he left, Ralph was happy to stay in the band. And so Johnny Gill came in to replace Ralph and ended up replacing Bobby Brown. Incredible. And I think that he did a good job, right? I mean, this yeah. is capturing that classic New Jack Swing sound of yep. the 90s. It's so, so good. And also it just takes me back to being 15 years old and hustling my way into Cafe Clicko's on Ligon Street where I could get served underage alcohol. Oh, nice. Like that's a dance floor filler. As oh. soon as the DJ drops that, you're on the floor. Like anything that that has a command in it yep. that's got a beat, you're there. I think it's very smart when artists do that, when they talk about dancing or talk about radio. If you sing about radio, you'll get played on the radio. Yeah, that's the rule. It's so it's, it's the law. such a clever thing. <laughs> so the film clip, directed by Julian Temple, who, wow. Yeah. Who's an incredible film director. Who uh, people might n- not know him, but they would know his work doing stuff with the Sex Pistols. He did the Sex Pistols documentary. and he did that like, amazing the, Joe Strummer documentary as yeah. well, which is beautiful. So, but the, the film clip is uh, Johnny Gill, a bunch of backup dancers, and the floor is set up like it's a boxing ring, but it's actually a trampoline. And so they're doing a bunch of jumps on that. Johnny Gill turned up. He wasn't the fittest guy and couldn't do it. <laughs> And so apparently he spent most of the time while they were filming this getting massages from the onset masseuse. Okay. And I love that also that's very 90s that there is an onset masseuse. Can you imagine? <laughs> oh, you work at the ABC. Imagine a masseuse at the ABC. I can't imagine anything. I can't even imagine video clips. Like that, that world of 90s video clips was in the millions. That's just like oh. an, it's another zone. It doesn't, obviously doesn't exist for obvious reasons because music, physical music doesn't sell. But music video clips were insane. Yeah. Insane. Yeah. So uh, listeners of the show, long-term listeners of any of my podcasts will know, between the years 92 and 94, I was a big fan of a TV show, a certain TV show called Family Matters. Mm. And Johnny Gill was on Family Matters. <laughs> he was. So this is a big moment for you. Huge moment. I didn't know who Johnny Gill was. They just talked about Johnny Gill and Laura Winslow had Johnny Gill posters up, okay, and they'd kind of laid the seeds throughout the season. But odd, oh, Laura liked Johnny Gill. 
And then season season three, episode 20. So he appeared as himself. He appeared as himself. Right. And this is what the storyline was. Urkel, Steve Urkel, who had a huge crush on Laura Winslow, wanted to kiss her and said, what would it, like, if I got Johnny Gill to come to perform in your lounge room, would you give me a kiss? And she said, Steve, I'd give you a kiss so hot that your glasses would steam to your face. <laughs> so he got a Mickey Mantle rookie baseball card and contacted Johnny Gill somehow and said, I'll give you this card if you perform at my neighbor's lounge room. So Johnny Gill came to get the card. Now, amazingly, yesterday, yesterday, a Mickey Mantle baseball card sold at auction (laughs) for a record amount. How much do you think this baseball card sold for that Steve Urkel gave away for a kiss from Laura Winslow? $2 million. 12.6 12.6 million Americans, oh that's 18.2 Australian. Worth it for Johnny Gill in your lounge room? Well, worth for it you, for a maybe. kiss. <laughs> a kiss from Laura Winslow. Like, you've given up so much money there, Steve. I love how deep you're going in on this. I know. There's levels, isn't there? Yeah. There's levels to Diesel and there's levels to Johnny Gill and we're only just getting started. Anyway, I don't mind this as a song. It's a good song. I'm really glad that you're playing it to me again because I'd forgotten about it. Yeah. And, it and again, it's just one of those moments where I was immediately transported back to a time and place that I haven't gone back to in almost 30 years. And I was really happy to be there. He's only hit in Australia. It charted higher in Australia than anywhere else, though. Charted number six. And I think it's because of this compilation. I think people heard on the compilation went, oh, I like that song. It's a tastemaker compilation. I'll, I'll, buy the, I'll buy the single. Yeah, and none of his albums, just no, 100% hits. Just this. <laughs> All right, moving on. Now, in, in the early 90s, reggae was making a bit of a comeback. Mm. We've had Shaggy, mm. we've had Snow, mm. and now we're having Chuck Ademus and Pliers and their song, Tease Me. This one does take a while to get into it. I don't even remember Pliers. Like what an artist name. <laughs> Pliers. Baby girl, she recognized the man in me. Number one of the world. There's something in her eyes like a spell getting me hypnotized. Oh, Lord. She gave me one smile, two smile, three smile. She got me going wild. Work more than diamonds and So pearls. baby, don't change your style. Oh, Even the song is teasing as well. Love that shuffle though. Yeah. This is horny. Now we're getting horny. Now we are. We're, we're trying to. We're getting there. It's like burning fire and yeah, I'm yeah, so the sun. Oh, we're not. I'll play keep like. It's deep in the subconscious. It's so weird when songs like that happen. This was this this and Sonia Dada for me. I remember I don't know if I just thought Chuck Ademus and Pliers was a very funny name for a band. <laughs> and it just stayed with me as like kind of one of those go-to names I just drop when I want to make an obscure reference. Well, it's very obscure because I haven't thought about it since again 29 years ago. Was this a song or were they an artist that were on the Sliver soundtrack, or am I thinking? Remember no, the that's shaggy. that shaggy, isn't it? Yeah, okay, but that whole like era that. of like taking reggae and making it into you know pop music that the world would love. It was huge, wasn't yeah. it? And also, it reminds me of um, oh that terrible song, um, "Girl, I'm Gonna Make You Sweat." 
Sweat till you can't sweat no more. You think that's a terrible song? Ah, la 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 la. The lyrics are so offensive. (laughs) And maybe I'm being a prude, but I take that in a completely different way than probably most people do. But we're going to talk about Inner Circle next week. Inner Circle. Yeah. There you go. A little teaser. They're on side B of this. I bet they are. But it was a time, wasn't it? It was like sexy, sweaty reggae music where you just imagine everyone's just partying and rooting in the Caribbean. That's the vibe. Yeah. And little Australians are just going, yeah, I want to live in that world. So this is the thing. So Chuck Ademus, real name, John Taylor. <laughs> Again, <laughs> went the diesel route. I don't know where Chuck Ademus <laughs> comes from. I don't know. Uh, Pliers, real name, Everton Bonner. He got his name Pliers because he looked like another reggae artist who was called like, like Pinch or something like that. <laughs> and so he went, I'll go Pliers. Didn't have like a pointy head yeah. or anything. Pliers. So not not much info about this this duo that yeah. I could find. So when that happens on the on the podcast, I go to the YouTube comments to see what people have been saying. <laughs> a lot of hey, I'm listening to this in 20 years. They don't make music like this anymore. Yeah. But Cat K said this four years ago. I've had this song stuck in my head every day for the past 25 years. Whoa. She's living a nightmare. Like, <laughs> <laughs> if you're, like, no matter how good a song is, if it's stuck in your head for 25 nah, years. Nah, that's a hit. I disagree. And imagine shuffling down the street. You'd just be like shaking it a little bit, just rumbling down the street to that little backbeat. No. I, I wouldn't w- mind that. I watched the latest season of Stranger Things and had running up the hill in my head for two weeks afterwards. Not into it? I love it. But then it got out and then my eldest son is watching it now. And so he's watching while I'm in the room with him. And now I've got it stuck in my head. I can't get it out of my head. And I still like the song, but it's like, oh, man, if it's this burning. was a worse song. Yeah. yeah. And Kate Bush um, versus Chuck Ademus and Pliers. <laughs> yeah. Like Kate Bush. Well, it was Thinking when, about legacy. When I watched all eight hours of the Beatles doco, mm. I had their songs like get, like it wasn't even Get Back. It was the one they, I can't remember what it was now. I put it out of my brain, but they played it so much in that documentary that I was like, all right, just fucking write the song now. Okay, just write it. I love it. Have you watched it? I've watched about half of it. It's, oh, I, I still, it. I forgot, you know, I got all excited. Then I watched it and I was like, I'll come back to it. And then I haven't gone back. Yeah. But I did find it like comforting, like slow TV. Oh, yeah. And the, just as a side note, the, I went to a little media screening of it where the Peter Jackson talked about how they used AI to isolate the sound and it was incredible. Yeah. Like actually able to pull out little bits of sound because it was all just recorded on one track. So the fact that they were able to separate all of that and use AI to go through hundreds of hours of tape. Yeah. Amazing. He, um, to do that though, I know editing this, I'm like, oh, I'm, after doing an hour, I'm like, I'm ready to pull my hair out. You got to be passionate. Going to that. Oh, God. And have a lot of time on your hands. Uh, Mo Hamani on YouTube said nine years ago, definitely the best song mankind has ever made. Wow, that's huge. I mean, that's a really big call. You think of all the great songs? Mankind. No. And also just the weight that that carries. Yeah. And in our contribution to the world, this is one of the greatest moments. Uh, <laughs> all right, moving on. Staying on the on the sexy theme, mm. this is Duran Duran and their song, Come Undone.
sounds like it should be on like the Buffy or Angel soundtrack. Yeah, it's moody. Yeah. All right, we'll stop it there. So that was, uh, we talked about Ordinary World with Oliver Clark when he was a guest on here. Mm. So this is from the same album, the wedding album. It, mm. didn't have, it just was titled Dran Dran. Uh, so this was their big comeback. So the album before that flopped, first flop that had. America loved uh, Ordinary World. This was the follow-up. This is the last Duran Duran song to ever chart as well. I don't remember this song. I, I, I know Come Undone because there was a um, a compilation, Duran Duran compilation, where they got other artists to interpret the songs and it was called Come Undone. Mm. But that's I didn't know the song. I didn't recognise it until I heard that pre-chorus and I was like, oh, this is something that yeah. I, there's a little, you know, egg in the back of my brain that's starting to crack open but the rest of it is just a complete mystery. And it's interesting to think about like, Duran Duran, who obviously were huge new wave artists and they tried to make this comeback and they sound like they're really trying to slot into that early to mid-90s yeah. vibe and maybe it's kind of like... It's hard. Not, it's hard, it's yeah, hard when... Changing your sound to suit the trend as opposed to doing what you want to do. Yeah, when fashion passes you by and you go, I either go with it or I I stay with what I'm doing. Yeah. And I think... Because I was talking the other week about how Bruce Springsteen... 15 years ago was daggy if mm. you like Bruce Springsteen and now it's like, oh, that's really cool mm. because he's pretty much stayed, always been similar kind of sound. Yeah. and Celebrating yeah. the legacy, doing yeah. what he does best, mm. crushing his own creative ambitions in order to stay relevant. <laughs> Just stay out of podcasting, I mean, he's probably Bruce. into it. Stay I mean, out of podcasting. Yeah, you can can't I, do it. On no the podcasting good. thing, did you see the photos of him and Obama and they're podcasting in a room surrounded by glass windows? Like anyone who's ever made a podcast, what is he doing? <laughs> Must have just been like I never listened to it, but surely it was just bouncing off those I, those surfaces. I never listened to it either, but I w- <laughs> wanted to just see what how Barack Obama was going to sell me Squarespace. <laughs> uh, so this song was written when guitarist Warren uh, I don't know how to say his surnames Cuccarello C U C C U R U L L O Cuccarello we'll mm-hmm. say that he was trying to reinterpret one of their own songs, uh, the song called First Impression for a side project he was doing. With uh, Gavin Rosdale of the band Bush. Wow. This is in 92, before Bush had really blown up big. When did Bush start kicking off? Like it was, they were sort of post-grunge, weren't they? Happy, t- tapping into that period where grunge had gone yeah. mainstream and then they were along for the ride. I think 95, 96. I think it was when I was in year 10 when everyone had that album, whatever the Bush was, yeah. album that had everything Zen and that kind of stuff on. I think it was around then. But uh, Simon uh, LeBon heard them kind of noodling around and went, oh, I like that. That's really good. And just came up with the lyrics there on the spot, the melody. And then uh, he said the lyrics were a gift for his wife, which to me sounds like he forgot to get his wife a gift. (laughs) Have you ever had a song written about you? No, but that's, I mean, you can't say, oh, that's a cop out because it's like, it's a song, it's a piece of art and you're in Duran Duran. Yeah, but would that ever get? Would you ever sort of? Would that get old if you were if if you had a songwriter partner and they'd be like, "Oh, I wrote your song." It's like, "Oh, come on, just get get me a nice bunch of flowers." How do you think your partner would do if you said, "Hey, I dedicated today's radio show to you"? <laughs> so get lost. Yeah, you've been doing it <laughs> for your twenty job. years. You've got to do this. <laughs> Don't fucking so. Oh, it's your present. Like, yeah, you haven't gone out of your way to do anything. I gave you a shout out. You, Happy birthday! You want? You made money on my present. Can I have the money from it then? That's, that's what I want. Yeah, I'd, that's, I'd, that's I'd true. have the songwriting like royalties. That said, if any songwriters are listening and you want to write a song about me, I would not be upset. I've had a play written about or me. for me. It doesn't have to be about me. Yeah. You've had a play written about my, you or for you. My ex wrote a play about our relationship. Oh, this is interesting. I was part. I was one of three three main characters. Was it good or bad? I came across okay. Okay, that's good. And the others? The others? Not. Um, look. It was all about her breakups and how she kept on making the same mistakes. Okay. <laughs> and I, my character's name in it was The Boy. 
Oh, that's interesting. Which wasn't great. I, I mean, ce- celebrate your boyish charm and good looks. Like, you when, know, you haven't aged. When we broke honest. up, I was 22. So, okay. you know, I was kind of a boy. <laughs> but to be called the boy. Um, but she she had my character as just making like mixtapes and CDs and just not wanting to talk about real stuff and just talking about music all the time, which I'm like, nailed yeah, it, right? You got me there. <laughs> you got me. But then um, she had me do this really lame joke and I was like, hey, come on. I didn't yeah. make that shitty joke. That was your own joke. I love that's yeah. the only part of the story that you're offended by. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I, I, it was a friend who said, hey, I'm not meant to show you this, but such and such has written a play and you're one of the characters. There you go. So I'm like, oh, cool. This is great. I love that. I need, now I need to seek out that play. Where can I find it? I'll, I'll ask my friend Sarah to find it for her. Um, <laughs> hey, also, film clip directed Julian Temple, directed the film clip to this song. Jeez, he was busy, wasn't he? Was he was so busy. So had he made any feature films at this stage? I don't think so. Mm. Uh, apart from The Great Rock and Roll Swindle. Mm. But that was not really, that was a short film and a documentary, but I don't think he'd made anything like major. Yeah. yeah. Which I guess is where a lot of filmmakers sort of start that out, especially if they're working in music. Yeah. And then you go longer form. I love yeah. it. Range too. Yeah. Lots of range. Yep. He's gone from, what, Johnny Gill to Duran Duran. <laughs> Just take the job, doesn't he? Yeah. All right. Moving on. This is possibly my favourite song on the entire album, including side A and side B. This is The Cruel Sea and their massive song, The Honeymoon, is over. song that denied diesel three arias this one three arias that was a big big breakthrough for cruel sea though yeah, into huge. the mainstream and for a band and particularly for tex who'd been plying his trade for years yep. this is a huge crossover moment absolutely so the the they won a heap of arias the three that he uh defeated diesel for defeated uh, defeated <laughs> yes were uh, a coliseum of music song of the year single of the year which i think is the same thing is it something about the sales versus the producer? Maybe I don't know. It's one of yeah, those it's ones. like that kind of so, Grammys thing where there's a million categories for the I, same thing. I always find it weird when it's like if it's for sales, everyone knows who's won. Don't have the nominees. Just have oh, this is the. You don't have to. I was nominated for single of the year. If it's about sales, you know you didn't win. Yeah. Anyway, and um, producer <laughs> of the year. Uh, so at that Aries as well, have you, you would have been to how many Aries you been to? A few, at least six. Is it is it a big party? Have you been to the Logies? Never been to the Logies. So I've been to the Logies but not the Arias. I wanted to go to the Arias. I reckon they're probably about the same vibe. Everyone's okay. just ripping the lid off it. Had lots of hair and makeup, everyone in their absolute best and then just partying hard and no, drinking too much. No one caring about the actual awards? Uh, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, at this awards, so there was a big fight at the after party. Um, Tex, Tex uh, his partner at the time, I'm not sure if they're still together, uh, Christina Higgins, 
uh, she was talking to, she got in a fight with someone and so Tex jumped in and there was a big fracker. Uh, two Arias were stolen from the band. <gasps> they don't know where they are. Never found. Never found them. So someone's got two Arias, Diesel. Uh, <laughs> but it is that thing if like if you're going to be in a fight and you've got a bunch of Arias. That's dangerous. They're a weapon. Yeah, they really are. For, for overseas listeners, they're just a big pointy statue. That's it's all they are. It's just waiting to impale someone. Yep. And I always get worried when I see them at the event with people who've gotten them because it's like they're just, they're heavy so they'd really lodge in something but they're so spiky and you're just surrounded by arias and people who are wasted, yeah. highly emotional. Like it's a bad scene. Well, that's all all awards shows are. It's just as the night progresses, more and more losers are in the room. Like, <laughs> everyone's happy at the start and excited and then it's like, oh, no, we've lost. That table's lost. Oh, cool. Like, yeah. Especially if it's a, a night where one one table's winning everything. Gabriella like, Chilmy, remember yeah. that year? Yeah, was that oh, was that the same year that Madison also Avenue well, had when you when you finally get to the hundred hundred percent hits that Gabriella Chilmy was there, and it's oh. like also songs that you haven't thought of until you know since that time. Uh, Robert is it Robert Foster Forster Forster from the Go Betweens? He wrote that was his favorite song of the year. That uh, sweet about me is that what it was? The Gabriella Chilmy yeah, song. Yeah, he wrote this big essay for the Monthly about how it's a, an amazing song. I love that. Yeah. I feel bad now. He also wrote a big thing about uh, Redken hair product is the best hair product. Okay, like. well, take it with all the grain of salt then. <laughs> hey, so this came number nine in the highest 100 of, on Triple J, highest Australian entry that year. The top ten was Arsehole by Dennis Leary. Oh, my God, one of the worst number ones of all time. Creep by Radiohead. Mm-hmm. Linger by the Cranberries, mm-hmm. which we'll talk about next step. No Rain by Blind Melon. Cannonball by Breeders. Rage Against Machine, Killing of the Name, which we'll, I'll talk about on Pod Machine. Uh, the, my my Patreon podcast, uh, Lemon by U2, Go by Pearl Jam, and then The Cruel Sea. So some massive names in there. Mm, very guitar heavy too. And a guy who was in The Sandlot Kids. Yeah. So lots, <laughs> lots of big names. But, yeah, very – well, that was – I think that was what Australian music was like as well back then though. We didn't really branch out. I've talked about this, how it was real you stayed in your lane. Yeah, exactly. And there was that snobbery around the sort of songs that you listened to and how you identified – we weren't genre agnostic. Yeah. We were really, you know, um, snobby about the sort of style of music that we listened to and you listened to one radio station and you were locked onto that or yeah. you listened to pop music or you listened to hip-hop and R&B. But even that didn't really kind of come into more mainstream play in Australia for many years afterwards. Because you would have been in Triple J when they were... In kind of, 1993, no. No, when they were <laughs> making that change though of being less guitar heavy to yeah. more... Were you there when Beyonce was played? Yes, I fought hard to for the lemonade being played. Yeah. Um and didn't not against Triple J but just in terms of campaigning for it to be played because it should be played. Yeah. But more sort of communicating that to an audience that maybe thought it wasn't appropriate. And it's really good to see that now it's completely shifted. Yeah. That there's a a world where yeah, we don't have those hang-ups about what you should and shouldn't listen to because music is music. Yes. I I I wouldn't be doing this podcast 10 years ago. I'd have been, oh, as if I'm going to talk about those kind of pop songs. And now I'm like, there's no, why am I having these guilty pleasures? If I like it, I should just like it. I think also as you get older, you care less, which is an interesting thing for me to say because while we're talking about a youth radio station, because I think that that's the thing that this next generation of, you know, Zoomers and millennials, they don't care about the same stuff that we were so caught up in. We were just so in our own heads and uh, unnecessarily, you know, cutting out a whole big portion of experience. Whereas those... 
those sort of lines aren't drawn in the same way for people who are getting into music now as teenagers and people in their early 20s. And I love that. Yeah. It's so freeing. Hey, we're going to take a break now. We'll be back very soon. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And we're back. Okay. Second half of Side A. This, one of the godfathers of punk music. <laughs> this is... A guy you may know from the movie The Wedding Singer. Oh, wow. This is Billy Idol and his song, Shocked the System. Crashing glass, a sign of things to come. <laughs> yeah, he's breaking through the glass ceiling as a punk, oh, as a punk yeah. rocker. He had it hard, didn't he? Yeah. <laughs> it was a night. Works are so bad, they're so good. So that trope of I said yeah, it's like that was a real Billy Idol trope, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. And so yeah and come on is when you're like, all right, we've got a bit of space here. What do you want to fill it with? <laughs> do we want another instrument? Nah, I'll just say come on or yeah. Some very basic lyrics going on there. So if you don't know Billy Idol, he was in the punk band Chelsea in 1976. Then he was the front man of Generation X. Then 82 went solo, huge hits with White Wedding mm. and Dancing With Myself. Great song. Uh, and they also both had uh, good film clips, so they had high rotation on MTV. Then he peaked with his album Rebel Yell. That was the highest of his career. And this Little song. Rebel Yell. Yeah. This song. More, more, more. Sorry. His first disappointment in America oh. with the album Cyberpunk in 93. Now, it was a concept album that he wrote. He was very ahead of his time. I was going to say. He wrote it using a Macintosh computer and Pro Tools from his house. So very innovative. And he was really into the internet in 93. When did you get your first email? Oh, that's a good question because I had a brother and a father that were nerds. Oh. And, I, and they worked at RMIT University and I got like a, an internet machine, an old one from the computer lab and I had internet that was like green text that would load line by line. Yeah. And an internet address that had a lot of numbers and letters in it. But I was online in... Maybe 94. Oh, so you were very early. Then. Very early. Yeah. I had, I had one of the only music websites in Australia that got voted as consistently as in the top 10 music websites because there was probably only 12 of us. <laughs> what was the website? It was called Zanzu. It's buried deep in the internet. Some people have been able to find it. It had devotional web pages to Regurgitator, The Tea Party, Fugazi, and a Melbourne punk band called Muffcake. <laughs> 
<laughs> and I also published my writings on there. Great. Because I wanted to self-publish and that's yep. what the internet was all about. Um, and the wallpaper looked like uh, you were inside a rave or an acid trip. It was very 90s. <laughs> I'm going to try and find that. All right, so even though this was a huge critical and commercial failure, uh, he had this was his idea was. So with the album, it came on like a three, uh, three and a half inch like floppy disk. Oh, great. Yeah. Oh, floppy disks. I know. And he wanted to use the e- email and virtual communities, which in 93, you're like, going, you're pretty ahead of That ahead is of way ahead of his yeah. time, yeah. Uh, so he just, he made predictions that the internet and the computers and musicians was, that's where it was all going. That's where music was going. That way he can control his fans. He can talk to his fans and, uh, not control his fans, but like, you know, <laughs> control what gets out there. You see Elon Musk. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then on the tour as well. So the tour for this was called the No Religion Tour, which is a, um, from a song lyric of his, the song Wasteland. And so the performance, the stages were highly computerized. So we had all this stuff going on mm. and actual videographers in the crowd showing people so they could see it on, on screen. Before this, it was just like the lump of like people on stage and mm. that was it. And he was like, no, no, this should be an interactive experience, not just performer, like person or punter. It's like, I'm like, I'm all for it. And then you hear the music and it's absolute dog shit. So it's hard. <laughs> He's put all of his ideas and creativity into the concept yeah. and forgotten about the songs. He got into cyberpunk because in 1990 he broke his leg and he had some kind of device on the leg to try and help heal it. Mm. And a, a, he was being interviewed and someone said, oh, you're like a cyberpunk there. And he goes, what's that? And they said, oh, you should read this book. And so he got really into cyberpunk. Uh, one of the things I want to I talk about here um, is on the press tour of it. So he was doing all the press junkets and he insisted that journalists be familiar with the cyberpunk fiction. And so he told them they had to read Neuromancer. Great. And... Uh, and so they all did. Now, you you would have been on many a junket on like interviewing people and doing the research. Mm-hmm. And most most good journalists do the research. Yeah. Okay. So one journalist did all the research and then was asking Billy Idol questions about the book and the, re- the journalist discovered, oh, he's not read this book. <laughs> he's made us read it. And so he actually questioned him. He said, have you actually read it? And Billy Idol said, I don't need to read it. I just absorbed it through kind of osmosis. <laughs> Fucking hell, Billy. Like, <laughs> I love that. That's a true punk move, too. I know. Have you ever seen him in interviews? No. I mean, I've maybe I've seen snippets on like Countdown and stuff like that, but is he a bit of a chav? This is my thing with punks. So, some punks are into it because they like the music, and some are just into it because they want to be contrary. And I think he's one of those contrary ones. Like, I see. He's just a brat. John, John Lydon now. Mm. And I'm like, oh, you're such a, just a boring old man who wants to be contrary about everything. Even yeah. though what you were saying, people are agreeing with you now. And they're like, no, I'm going on the other side. Just this, Billy Idol's a bit like that. He was on uh, the panel. For, so for those who don't know, it used to be like Working Dog uh, did a show, which was just people talking around a panel. And Billy Idol was a guest and he tipped water on um, Tom Gleisen's head and kind of was sneering. And they were kind of like, going, all right, like you are in your 50s though, mate. Like it's sort of like... <laughs> Because he got offended because he said, like, I think they mentioned you were like the second wave of punk. And he goes, no, I was there from the beginning. Like, and he kind of was. He was in 1976 as a punk band. But, yeah. like, you kind of let that go. Like, you, he got his big hits in the 80s. So, anyway. Uh, he holds on to things. Q Magazine 
uh, listed Cyberpunk as number five in their list of the worst albums of all time. Oh, that's brutal. Yeah. What was number one? I don't know. I didn't look at that. I Curious. Just but five is up there. That's in 2006. See, I don't even think about that record or I, Billy Idol that much. No. No. He, he doesn't tour anymore, does he? I don't think so. Yeah. It's not like Kiss just keeps on going. Yeah, but Kiss have got a whole – that's a – you go to see a play when you see that. That's a whole That's true. It is musical theatre. I actually do want to go see Kiss when they're out. They're, they've just been out. Oh, was it already gone? It I'm, was their I've, final tour, I've Josh. Missed <laughs> I missed it. <laughs> Sorry, you missed it. <laughs> that was their last oh, – <laughs> Literally their final tour of Australia. <laughs> Why didn't I see Gene, Gene Simmons on any, like, of the morning talk shows there? Gene Simmons is a bit questionable and hopefully the Australian media have realised that. He's a bit wrong these days. Uh, it hasn't stopped him in the past. I'm sure he was on Triple M at some stage. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, another another Melbourne band. Oh, yes. Well, and a, not another first Melbourne band, uh, but this is a little band. We've, we've talked about them before. I've talked about them with Charlie Pickering. This is The Sharp and their song, Scratch My Back. Blow me? Yeah. Tell me, it's a horny album. Oh, yeah, hitting those high notes. It's like an indie, jazzy, punk, pop, barbershop quartet. (laughs) (laughs) What more do you want? (laughs) It's... You know what I think of every time, though, and when I say every time. Can, can I can I play this and see if it's this thing? I think it might be. It is very good. <laughs> they don't do, like, this is what I was thinking. So this song, I was, we'll go to the original song. So I scratched my back, got to number 40 in the Australian charts. I thought it was bigger. I, I thought some, it was bigger too. But I think I remember him because that was very popular, The Skivvies Are Back. We talked about it with Charlie Pickering saying how that pretty much ruined the band. Mm. Like, <laughs> oh, God. They didn't come back after that. As in they just basically, they were parodied. They, and they, they, they were knew. cool. It was then, so close to the original though that they probably thought we can't follow it because it basically looks like yeah. we're taking the piss. But it is a thing like because they don't do, like, there are no parody shows on TV. Like remember like Fast Forward Full Frontal used to always do like 
song parodies or ad parodies. Mm. We don't have that in t- on TV anymore. There is weirdly though the Weird Al Yankovic the movie film coming out, and he was the king of parodying songs. That looks so good. Have you seen the? It, I cannot wait for that film. When I first saw that Daniel Radcliffe was cast, I was like, oh, really? And now I see the trailer, I'm like, oh, really? Yeah. Yes, bring it on. I lo- and Weird Al's written it as well. Fantastic. So it, it looks like it's taken the piss out of Weird Al, but he's he, it's from his own words. And it's like this whole thing where he's had a relationship with Madonna and his uh, manager, Dr. Demento, doesn't think she's good for him. And it's it's <laughs> I cannot wait. It looks very, very funny. Bring it on. But with this, because... I don't know, and I've, I've mentioned this before, but sometimes I look at these parodies and I'm like, they were a bit mean. Well, I mean, I don't think that's that parody's that mean because they're basically just taking the piss out of a look, which is when you think about it, 1993 white skivvies. Yeah. I was wearing that in high school, but that was a uniform. That was part of my uniform, <laughs> a white skivvy. I mean, the white skivvy deserves a bit of a comeback, doesn't it, if we're talking about all the 90s fashion. But I think that taking the piss out of what they were wearing as this uniform, I definitely saw meaner. Yeah. The Frente one was the meanest one. Well, yeah, I think that they could cut a little bit, you know, um, what's the phrase I'm looking for? Below the bone? No. Below the belt? Below the belt. Close to the bone? Below close the belt. To, see, I've combined those. the two. One of those two, yeah. I, I think that they could cut a little bit close to the bone, but I don't think this was necessarily mean, but maybe because I thought the original was quite funny as well. Yeah. So you... Because <laughs> it was, the sound was a bit of a gimmick, right? Yeah. I don't know. I, see, to me, it's it's kind of in that world of rat cat and stuff. It's totally in the world of rat cat. And kind of came in and went really quickly. Yeah. Like kind of grunge came in and all those kind of Australian grunge bands came in and like rat cat, was it the frowning clouds? Are they mm. in a, like, like kind of all just disappeared. Like kind of, rat cat was huge. Like, like, uh, is it tingles? That EP mm. was Simon day. Speaking yeah. of people that still look good and black and white as well. They all wore black and white, but tingles used to be every single like secondhand shop I went into you'd be able to pick up a copy of that. Mm. Like it was the most, that and R.E.M.'s um, Monster album. What about 1927? Ish. <laughs> Huge record. <laughs> the, there was a rumour that they filmed one of the film clips in an old church near uh, Burnie. And I was like, there's no fucking way they went to Burnie to film <laughs> a clip. It was the 90s. There was money in video clips. Yeah, exactly. That's why they wouldn't have done it in Burnie. <laughs> hey, speaking of money in clips... This film clip is also very sexy. This is our next act. Been on before. We've talked about his big old scarf and his big old dong. This is Lenny Kravitz <laughs> and Believe. I was wondering where big old was going to yeah. go. So Beatles, he's totally ripping the Beatles here. Hey, I don't mind ripping off the Beatles. If you're gonna rip off a band, you might as well rip off a really good one. 
have not listened to this since 1993. It's so funny how some songs are just like they seep into you. you yeah, all right. We'll, we'll stop there. Uh, so that is Believe by Lenny Kravitz. Singing hey, through a toilet roll in that effect there. Guess who directed this film clip? Julian Temple. Michelle Gondry. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. And it's, I looked at it and I'm like, oh, I mean, very early on in Michelle Gondry's career. It's a, a little bit like it's about a space, like astronaut kind it makes of makes sense. It sounds around. like it's spacey. Yeah. But like no, no, no trickery and stuff like that. So well, it, as you said, early in his career. I know. We've all got to get our start somewhere. Yeah. This was his student film of his career. Getting, getting started with Lenny Kravitz. So this was number eight in Australia, number one in Iceland. Okay. Björk loved it. Now, There's not that many people in no, Iceland. It's really small. Okay, so here's a fun fact about Iceland. I think the population is around, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's 200 to 250,000 people, very small. Yeah. There is a dating app in Iceland which is specifically set up to make sure that you don't date someone you're related to. It's amazing. It's a little checker for you. <laughs> I love that story. Being from Tasmania, I'm going to let that pass. <laughs> but I... I'm amazed with Iceland. They have so many good artists coming yeah. out of Iceland and they've got so few people and I don't know. And it, it must be the thing, oh, I can see it so I can achieve that. So once you've got one person do it, you can go, oh, that's a career. Mm. And I don't know if it was just like Björk and um, what was her band called? The Sugar Cubes. Sugar Cubes. I was going to say the birthday party. Like, she, she sung about birthdays. She sang about birthdays. Yeah. But that seeing them go global and go, oh, maybe have other people because there's like Sigaross. Mum, all those kind of I bands. I forgot about Mum. Yeah, I know. It was such a weird time. I reckon though that like Sweden that invests a lot of money into the arts and specifically music, maybe Iceland has got the same sort of deal where they just basically support artists to make things and then create it so that you can have a living wage to create music. Imagine if we had that. <laughs> That's incredible, isn't it? <laughs> Population of 20-odd million. Uh, so Lenny Kravitz, I've talked about him a lot. He's been on three times already. But this is a, a story I haven't told. So he's written a book, uh, Volume 1. It's two two parts. Volume oh, 1 goes up until he got his record contract and then Volume 2 goes into all the stuff about that. So it's about his childhood. But I didn't know he, his parents were famous. His mum was in the Jeffersons, one of the um, uh, main cast of the Jeffersons. Wow. His dad was an NBC newsreader. Which one? I don't know. Okay. Not, not Brian Gumbel or, yeah, the one whose young. daughter uh, was on Girls. Um, so, but w- when he was 19, he caught his dad cheating on his mum. And this is what his dad said to him. You'll do it too. Oh, my gosh. And, like, in the book he talks about how, look, I was angry, very angry at my dad for that, but also I understand now it's coming from a place of trauma because he's, like dad, like his dad's dad cheated on his mum. So his dad's dad's basically just, or his dad's just saying, hey, I'm just going to hand down this intergenerational trauma. Like, uh, I'm not going to try and break the cycle. I'm just passing yeah. it along to you. Thanks, a, dad. A Russian doll of adultery. It's Jeez just like Louise. the thing. Yeah, so he's coming to that. But Lenny Kravitz, we've talked about how he didn't think he was a star. He didn't want to be the singer. He tried to sell his songs off to people. Really? Yeah, even though he looked like he looked. You yeah. Think, Come on, mate. You, Seriously. You can be a front Use person. it. Uh, but these were the first three tours he went on as like the opening act. First one was supporting Tom Petty. Great. Second one, Bob Dylan. Okay. Third one, David Bowie. Jeez Louise. That's huge. And when he was on tour with uh, Bob Dylan, you know, when you go on tour like that, you don't just hang out. And so Bob Dylan hadn't really spoken to him. Mm. But he said, I want to hang out with that good-looking black guy. Okay, bring him over. So, so, And then that night he said, hey, come back out on stage. So Lenny Kravitz was just watching in the wings. He said, I'm going to bring on my opening act. Come on. He's going to join me on a song. Lenny Kravitz didn't know what song it was going to be. 
Bob Dylan goes into Maggie's farm and Lenny Kravitz did not know the lyrics. <laughs> <laughs> but I've been to a Bob Dylan gig. I don't reckon anyone would care. Yeah, no, you wouldn't be able to tell. I, I, have you seen Bob Dylan live? <laughs> yes. I saw him when he played, like, he either played Rod Laver or one of the huge big stadiums. I, played, I saw him on his last tour, I think, and it was um, he played everything in the same tempo. He was really messing with people. I didn't know. I, he was playing a song. I was like, I don't think I know this song. And then he got to the chorus and it was like a Rolling Stone. I'm like, fuck, that's the, the biggest of your songs. Like, yeah. I, yeah, he just played it so weirdly. I'm yeah. like, all right. It's almost like he's trying to destroy himself and all of his fans. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's an interesting time, a Bob Dylan show. What do you think about Lenny Kravitz? Um, I think that it's it's funny because it's another one of those artists who like I grew up watching him and listening to his pop songs and so I think of him in that way as just like another pop star but I think he actually is very talented. Yeah. And I think that he's probably been ridiculed for reasons that he shouldn't have because um, he's got a look and like everyone does. You know, you put on a costume when you perform. This idea of authenticity in music I think is really flawed because everyone puts on, you know, clothing or sunglasses. You know, he had the big sunglasses, uh, wears their hair a certain way. It's part of your performance. It doesn't mean that your songs are any less authentic. And when you think about his body of work, it is actually quite impressive. Yeah. I also like that he was secretly engaged to Nicole Kidman for a short period. Yeah. <laughs> Just as an aside. There's a great thing with his daughter Zoe Kravitz and Nicole Kidman in a interview. And the of course, because they start together. Yeah. yeah. And then they said, oh, do you, do you two known each other before this? And uh, Zoe Kravitz goes, yeah, she used to have sex with my dad. <laughs> <laughs> Also another family dynasty, I love that, the Lisa Bonet, Zoe Kravitz, Lenny oh. Kravitz triangle of just like hot people making cool things. Lisa Bonet, oh, she's, she's so So pretty. cool. And she's with Jason Momoa now. And I, I don't think they're together anymore. Oh, okay. But he still hangs out with... Uh, Lenny. Well, I think they did. They were some weird like... Remember when uh, Bruce Willis and Demi Moore in lockdown lived together for a while? I love that. Yeah. Well, Bruce isn't doing well anymore, I know. so it kind of so, gives yeah. more context to yeah. it. So the kids could be around, but I don't think that was out at that stage. It was yeah. just like, yeah, we're just hanging out because we get on. Love it. Yeah. That's a good relationship. That's a healthy relationship. Are you friends with any of your exes? I'm friends with all my exes except for one. Uh, yeah. I'm friendly with my I wouldn't say we're friends, Well, he, we see okay. each other. So, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, I don't hang out with my exes, but I'm on a good relationship and I like seeing them when I bump into them. Yeah. But... It's hard, isn't it? Oh, Post relationship. There's one who absolutely hates me, and she has good reason to. <laughs> but the other two, um, yeah, I'm actually, I'm working for one in a month's time. Interesting. She went. She runs a festival, and she's booked me to do the festival. And it's like, so you will be is, hanging out. This is weird. I'll probably I'm, not though. I'll, I'll just listen to the podcast after you do yeah. that festival. See how that goes. <laughs> All right, our last song. Our last song for this uh, this album. This is. Oh, it's the Bad Boys. Of UK boy bands. <laughs> it's East 17 and their cover of the Pet Shop Boys, West End Girls. Is that 90s drum machine again? I know. Oh, it's, it's like a Casio preset. I think it's the drums that really age 90s music. Because they all wanted to be, oh, this is great. We can use this new technology. But it's like hair plugs. Wait a while. And they <laughs> they sound so thin. Yeah. They're so thin. No bass. Sometimes you're better off there. There's a gun in your hand and a phone at your head. You think you're mad. Too unstable. Kicking in chairs and knocking down tables in a restaurant. 
Not on the original Walthamstow, it was on the reissue and they put it on to bolster up. So, okay, we know people are going to buy both copies. A deluxe reissue. Yeah, so this was on there. It was their fifth single from that album. Uh, it was quite a quite a big song. I think got number four on the charts. From that's, that's quite good for E17. Uh, but I don't want to talk about E17. I want to talk about the Pet Shop Boys. We'll well, talk about E17. Because they haven't done anything to make it sound any different and certainly no better than the original. Well, he kind of raps it a little bit. Okay. But the original is just like <laughs> Neil Tennant talking it. So yeah, it's not really, they haven't exactly. really changed it that much. Yeah. That, that's my least favourite uh, genre of music as well, by the way. What? Um, when people take rap songs or hip-hop songs and play them on acoustic guitar. That is the worst. <laughs> just no, no thanks. Um, the Petra Boys version... In 2020, The Guardian said West End Girls is the greatest UK number one single. Wow. It is beautiful. It's a great song. Pet Shop Boys are iconic as well. So I, I don't mind the Pet Shop Boys, but I, got, I had a really weird experience. I won't say who it was with, but it was when I was on Triple R. I used to be a breakfast on Triple R. For mm-hmm. those that know, don't aren't in Melbourne, that's the breakfast show on community radio. It's the only, the only people on the station on air who get paid, okay? Mm. So a bit of responsibility, like if you're a breakfaster, and we would have segments. And it was very political when I got on there. And I, I, I'm not a political person. I just think help out those who are less fortunate than us. That's my that's my politics. Okay, but our political reporter was talking about we just had cuts to the arts funding, and then they were just slagging off George Brandis, who at the time was the arts minister. And I was like, yeah, but what makes George Brandis so bad? And she's like, his favorite band's the Pet Shop Boys. <laughs> I was like. Cool, but what's I want to know what's bad about him. I'm sure he's bad. I'm sure there's examples of what he's cut. Let me know because the Pet Shop Boys, I think, for someone in politics, that's a pretty left of centre choice for someone in Australian politics to go, that's my favourite band, the Pet Shop Boys. Yeah, the fact that you're a politician even likes music and is into music, yeah. contemporary music, that's cool. <laughs> what you? I saw a photo with you and Albo, our current Prime Minister. Oh, yeah, last week we had a selfie together. That's cool. He he loves music. He loves music. I am getting a bit annoyed though. I'm like, all right, cool it, mate. Cool it on, <laughs> on the music. Nah, I'm fine with it. To have a the leader of our country love music so much, bring it on. I, I just think. Do you think he's going to be like Obama and start putting out his summer playlists? Oh, imagine <laughs> Obama actually listened to those songs as well. Obama's not listening to Courtney Barnett. <laughs> There's no way. There's a cool intern who's just like yeah. big fan of Courtney. Throw her another bone. We'll put this on. <laughs> but my thing, like, cool that like he he likes music, Anthony Albanese. But it's getting now a bit like Scott Morrison's Curries. It's like fu- like it's <laughs> it's too it's it's almost like all right, we're losing appeal here. Hey, chuck on a Triffids album in the background, and we'll just have a photo and be like, wouldn't that like yeah? I just think. Just cool it a bit. We have an arts minister again, and I think that's a good thing. Yeah, that is a good thing. So, but yeah, so <laughs> thank you, George Brandis. So my thing, the no, last so, arts minister we had, wasn't it? I I don't know. No, there was someone else. Okay. Yeah, but I was I was not defending George Brandis on air. 
I just wanted to know what was bad about him. Mm. I wanted something tangible. And Pet Shop Boys was all they had. That's all they had. And I was like, well, that's not enough. Yeah. Also, my thing with the arts funding, I was like, well, it needs to be looked at because who's getting the arts funding do not need it. My thing on, and this absolutely got people calling the station yelling at me. I was like, oh, would you care if opera went away in Australia? If it's, I, And I know you probably want to say it, but I don't think, I don't know anyone I know who has gone to the opera and I'm sure it's great, <laughs> but sell tickets. If it's that great, you don't need the funding. People will buy tickets. Yeah. Like you don't need for something that big. I, I did like in this kind of cattle call for like uh, going around different venues around Victoria and I was on and my show cost a certain number and then Opera Australia went on after me and this was to go to schools and do two singers and do a workshop about opera was going to cost 15 times what my show was going to cost. I'm like, why? It's two people. You don't need that much. Like I, look, I didn't think I was going to go into this. <laughs> it stayed with you. You're also reminding me of just how um, political and certain way leaning you can be on Triple R. Oh, well, this, like... yeah, you did exactly what my co-host did and just didn't say anything. And As like... an ABC broadcaster for many years now, I've just, I'm just filing through many, many editorial policies in my head right now and smiling at you. Well, I, it was... I'll just say it was me and Van Battam just arguing on air, just going, I don't think they need to fund opera. I think like you'd fund, like understand funding like bands and stuff that people actually want to go and see and they're like losing money because it costs a lot to fucking tour this country and like. Fund it all. Yeah, but the money, like, okay. I, this is my other thing. <laughs> Everyone wants a football team in Tasmania. Being Tasmanian, I'd rather a hospital. Okay, put another hospital there, okay? We've got an ageing population down there. We don't need a fucking football team that everyone who lives in Tassie is going to be their second favourite team. They've already got football down there. They love football down there. If you're going to do it, don't have the government fund it. Fucking build a hospital in the city, like on the West Coast so people who get in a mining accident don't have to be air... Anyway, Pet Shop Boys. Really opened up something there, didn't it? That's good. I like it. Hey... That's it. Any, wow, any, that went fast. It did. Any, any, any final thoughts on E17? I have a connection to E17 again now because um, I've discovered a street uh, nearby me called Walthamstow. Oh, really? <laughs> and so every time I walk down it, I think of E17 and sing them in my head. That's so, good. so weirdly it's come back to me um, in 2022. But, yeah, I, I loved them. I thought they were the bad boys of boy bands yeah. and we needed that, don't we? We want some, you know, again, it's like a little bit of sex appeal. We had we had Take That, they were the squeaky clean ones. Yeah. And then E17 were the Ready to fuck shit up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I want to I I listen to music from a band who look like they could just shiv me at any moment. Well, I've got a band for you. <laughs> hey, so I ask this at the end of every episode. Now, they label it 100% hits. How many percent would you give it? Do you want to go through them all again? Diesel never miss your water. Hit or not hit? Hit. The floor, Johnny Gill. One hit wonder. But still a hit. Still a hit. Tease me, Chuck a Demas and Pliers. Nah, I'm gonna say not a hit. Not a hit. Come undone, Duran Duran. Not a hit. Honeymoon is over, cruel sea. Hit, hit, hit. Shock to the system by Billy Idol. Nah. Scratch my back by the sharp. Yes, but the late show version. Okay. <laughs> Believe by Lenny Kravitz. Uh, yeah. And I think it was a time and place hit. And West End Girls? Nah. Five out of nine. So that's, that's over 50%. 50%. That's, that's still good. It's that's, like, what, 58% we'll say. 
inadvertently fair and balanced here as an ABC broadcaster. Oh. <laughs> oh, so, Absolutely sitting on the fence with right. whether this well, we is 100% We have to talk about hits. Hit Machine now. Yes, there was another compilation called Hit Machine. Yes. <laughs> Hey, thank you so much for doing this. Zan, you've got a bunch of shows and a bunch of stuff people can listen to on. Yes, I have Double J Mornings, which is weekday mornings from 9am till midday. But I have a new show, um, which is bringing my Take 5 podcast, which has been running for a long time, coming to television. It's exciting. And this is what I'm most excited about at the moment because it is a dream come true to bring music conversations back to primetime television on the ABC. It's great. Yeah. So we're going to be doing that from... Tuesday, September 20, take five on your TV, five episodes. So it's like Tony Armstrong. Tori Amos. Keith Urban. Guy Pearce and Missy Higgins. Amazing. Really fun. So hopefully everyone can watch that and we can keep doing more series and just having big DMs um, with people who just become music fans Is and Tor- sharing their favourite music. Was Tori Amos a massive, like, thrill to just be in the room with her she's incredible yeah she's just one of those people who she's a deep cut yeah she's a deep cut and she's a genius and she doesn't suffer fools all of my favorite things yeah and we had a fantastic conversation so i'm really excited about sharing that episode uh did you mention bang on bang on as well with me Forhurst, which is us just kind of making sense of the week that was quite a bit of music pop culture crumpets recently we've become crumpet influencers it's so funny that the things i know <laughs> about people from doing my last podcast, but I, I knew Miff was a big crumpet fan. I think she said once on, on Twitter, if you don't like crumpets, I don't understand. I don't understand you. And I'm like, yeah, I, I agree. Crumpet and a bit of honey, can't beat it. Hey, uh, listeners, thank you so much for being Patreon subscribers. You guys are the absolute best. Hopefully you're enjoying the Pod Machine uh, podcast. This week's episode coming out on Friday is with Conchetta Cristo. We talk about Hit Machine 2, Side A. Oof, some... Some hard, hard listens on that one. Uh, <laughs> and also next week uh, we'll do Side B with Ben Russell. I will be away overseas. So if you are, if it, things are a bit slower than normal, that's why. I'm going to Budapest. Fancy. Cannot wait. I'm going to see some, some Hungarian opera. I was going to say, bring back some hits from <laughs> Budapest. Hey, thanks everyone for listening. I'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.